Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. Well, speaking of prayer, it's one of my least favorite subjects to preach on. I know that's not very spiritual, but it's true. I should probably be honest since I'm... <laughs> uh, and prayer is tough for me to preach on because uh, I find it difficult to practice faithfully like I know I should. And uh, I'm slightly comforted, and I know I'm not alone in that. Like, how many of you would say, I know I should pray more than I should or be better about prayer than I am? Um, good. I'm not alone. Yay. All right. We're not alone. Maybe that's all you need to hear today is you're not alone. <laughs> not alone. Uh, But it brings up this, like, why don't we pray like we know we should? It's not like we don't know (laughs) that we should pray. Like, why is prayer so often, and and again, these are we questions because this is me struggling with this. Why Why is prayer so often my last resort instead of my first resort? Why is that? How do I persevere in spite of seemingly unanswered prayers? Some of you, maybe this is the reason you struggle with prayer. You prayed about something consistently and faithfully for a long time and felt like that wasn't answered, or at least in the way that you thought it should be or would be. And how can I become more consistent in my prayer life, more persistent in my prayer life? Again, like I know I should. And so we're going to look at a couple parables today that actually get at some crucial aspects of prayer. Jesus teaches on prayer in Luke chapter 18, and he gives two parables back to back that get at attitudes we need to have in prayer. And I actually think some of what Jesus covers addresses these very questions. And so my hope is that this will help my prayer life, and I hope it will help your prayer life as we study what Jesus has to teach us today. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 1. And um, this is our second to last message in the series on the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We've looked at some really beautiful and wonderful parables together, and I hope this has been as enriching for you as it has been for me to study and seek to understand Jesus' teaching better. And so we have today, uh, we're going to look at two parables, and then next Sunday we're going to look at the final parable in the series, and then we're going to kind of put a pause on the Gospel of Luke for a few months and return to it next year. So Luke chapter 18 Let me find it myself, too. All right, here we go. Now, Jesus told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. This is what I need to hear. This is what you need to hear. Always pray, don't give up. This is the story Jesus said. He said, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, 
Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, the judge was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, who is just and does care, that's his point, how much more so will God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, a couple of things before we dive into the, the key point that this parable is trying to make. It's always important to understand the context. And at the end of Luke chapter 17, Jesus is actually teaching his disciples about his return, his second coming. So that's kind of the context for this teaching. Jesus is saying, I will return and bring my justice to completion when I return. And then he tells this parable about prayer. And I fought the temptation to make some kind of joke about the justice system when it talks about an unjust judge. They're like, I don't fear God or respect people, but uh, I don't want to go there. But you see Jesus' point, right? If even an unjust judge is going to grant justice eventually when someone keeps asking, how much more so God, who is loving and just, will give justice to his people? And this is, uh, but this is the problem for us. Some of us have given up on prayer or are hesitant to pray or unsure about it because sometimes you pray for something and it feels like it goes unanswered or unaddressed. Or in the words of our children, it doesn't work. Uh, for our kids, oftentimes when we ask them, have you prayed about it? It's because they had a bad dream and they're feeling scared or frightened at nighttime. We're like, you got to pray about it. They're like, I did and it didn't work. It only works when you and mom do it. <laughs> um, but it, it feels that way, doesn't it, right? If prayer is supposed to be like, yeah, I guess this is how you get God to do things. You pray about it. And God didn't do it. I guess it didn't work. Well, there's more to it than that, right? What Jesus is making the point in this parable is, again, even, if even an unjust judge is going to give justice simply because someone keeps asking, how much more will God give justice to us? But here's the key point for this parable, because it's not simply a parable about prayer. It's also a parable about Jesus' second coming. Do you see the very end of it? That's a key verse. Luke 18, verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice, but nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, as in when Jesus returns, will he find faith on earth? Will he find people still trusting and still praying and saying, God, grant me justice? And here's the tricky thing that I feel like Jesus is communicating in this parable, is that we should seek God's justice. We should pray for it. And some of those prayers of us seeking God's justice are only going to be answered when he returns. See what he's saying? Keep praying for justice. 
because it, my return is going to come actually partly in response to those prayers for justice, but they won't actually be fulfilled until that time. Another thing we need to understand is that this is about justice. Uh, I've heard some people be like, yeah, just keep asking God for that Corvette over and over again if you really want it. Well, I, I think we should share the desires of our heart to God. I think that's true. Uh, but the widow's prayer is not really about that. She's seeking justice against her adversary, and she's a widow. In the first century world, women didn't have very many job opportunities. You would have had to be provided for by your husband or your father. And so the fact that she's a widow means she's very vulnerable in society. She doesn't have anything to rely on. And then she's going to this unjust judge to seek seek uh, justice against her adversary. There's some kind of background here where someone has cheated her out of something. So this is someone who's already vulnerable and at risk in their society and who needs justice because they don't have what they need. It's not like she's like, I just really want a new horse. <laughs> like she's seeking justice. She's seeking the basic requirement of life. And that's why she's begging for this. And so the immediate application is we should also pray for justice, not just the concerns of our heart, but also justice in the world. But as we pray for justice, we should also do so in recognition that God's ultimate justice will not come until he returns and finishes his work. And it's really important we get this right because when Christians get God's justice wrong, uh, things can go really weird really fast. Uh, quick story to illustrate this. Um, we have to be careful about justice in our household. There's been more than one occasion where someone would be like, you know, Anna spanked me. We're like, wait, what? It's like, well, that's what mom and dad would have done. Right? Uh, so the rule is you can't spank Jude. That's not your job, kids, right? Kids, you're not allowed to spank Jude. Justice is not your job. It's mom and dad's job. Put justice in the hands it belongs in, mom and dad's. How do you think of justice in this world? Do you feel like you have to take it into your hands? Or are you going to give it to our heavenly dad's hands? This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So fascinating to me because Paul does not say, you know, don't get revenge because that's wrong. He says, don't get revenge because that's not your place. That's God's place. Let him take justice into his hands because he's the one to take care of it. Don't spank your brother. That's kind of what he's saying, isn't it? Leave it in God's hands. And I just think it's true that God's justice is our only hope for real justice in this world and in this life. God's justice is our hope for real justice. James says it this way. Jesus is half friendly. He said, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And we know that by experience, don't we? Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. 
And I think this is timely. Um, you know, several people have been asking me about, like, what do you think about the, the war in Israel and the conflict and what needs to happen there? And I don't know if you feel this way, but as I look at this conflict, especially having gone with a group from our church there and seen on the ground some of the dynamics between Palestinians and Hebrews and um, the bitterness and the deep hurt on both sides, I'm like, I don't know what needs to happen here. It's a mess. It's so complicated and multifaceted and it's terrible. And like, I just would be like, God, we need you. That's what we need. We need you and your justice. And the truth is, that's what we need. Jesus' encouragement is not that we will always have an immediate answer to our prayers, but that we should never give up. And some of those prayers are not going to be answered until his second coming. Unless you'd be like, well, then what's the point? I want you to look at these verses from Revelation. This was so fascinating to me when this was pointed out to me. Uh, this is Revelation, and again, this is prophetic and apocalyptic imagery. It's hard to dig through, but there is something very clear about this text. Uh, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. And another a- angel with a golden incense burner. Remember, incense is what you would burn in the temple. This is part of the, the sacrifices. So another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar, and he was given a large amount of incense to offer with, with what? With the prayers of all the saints. And saints doesn't mean really good Christians, it just means Christians. So the incense and all the prayers are brought before the Lord. And then what happens? The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the, presence of the God, uh, in the presence of God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This image that you're given is that God is going to work in response to not simply his plan, but to our prayers. You see that imagery here? It's our prayers going up before the Lord. Prayers for justice that God ultimately will be like, enough is enough. It's time for me to step in and bring this world to its intended end. And so the application for this parable is very clear. Would you pray for God's justice? And would you pray for God to bring it through Jesus? I was remembering this early Christian tradition. Uh, you know, it's this weird thing with the New Testament because it's written in Greek, which was kind of like the common uh, merchant language of the first century. But we think most Jewish people actually spoke Aramaic. So it's probable that a lot of what we read is actually a translation from what Jesus said into, from Aramaic into Greek, and then we have that preserved. And the meaning is the same. It's fine. But it's fascinating because there's just a couple Aramaic words that make it through even in our translations. One of those is Maranatha. Who's ever heard that word? Maranatha. And it seems that it was actually originally just a common saying among Christians of like, life is tough. You know, Rome is being Rome, <laughs> oppressing us. Injustice every single day as we go about our business. Maranatha. 
And it means, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And it's just this kind of just heart expression of, and what we need most is you and your intervention in our lives and in this world. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's in line with what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, right? Bring your kingdom to this earth. Do your will on earth as it is in heaven. And so here's the disappointing answer that this first parable gives. Well, maybe it's not totally disappointing. Because it says, don't give up on prayer. Don't give up. Keep praying. God hears those prayers and he'll answer them. But some of those prayers are not going to be answered until Jesus comes. Keep praying. Don't give up. Justice will come. And I love how he even says, you know, it'll come quickly. It reminds me, uh, I don't know how many of you watched The Chosen, but how they always joke about the word soon. God's going to work soon. Like, what does that mean? When is soon? It's soon, right? When is quickly, Jesus? Quickly, quickly. He'll bring justice quickly. So this uh, uh, hopefully gets at one of those possible reasons why you have a tough time praying. Here's reason two. Uh, We won't pray if we don't realize how deeply and desperately we need God. And this is the point of Jesus' second parable. Let's look at uh, Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. And kids, by the way, this is your coloring page today. If you grab the coloring page in the back, this is... This is an illustration of these two men. Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one, Jesus says, the tax collector, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And again, Jesus' parables often have this interesting twist element to them, almost like a punchline and a joke where there's some kind of reversal. And so too with this one, right? The common just thinking, people walking around like those Pharisees, they're so holy. They get a direct line to God, whereas he puts the rest of us on hold all the time if you're not a Pharisee. That's just kind of what the average person around Jesus' time thought. It's like, yep, yeah, nope. That Pharisee did not go home justified. Pharisee was exalting himself, whereas the tax collector, the hated tax collector, people despised tax collectors. They were the lowest of the low. They were in cahoots with Rome and propping up this regime that was so oppressive to the people. The tax collector does go home justified. 
If Jesus was around today, he'd probably tell the parable with like a pastor praying and a trans rights activist, or I don't know even how to get at that in our society today. Praying and Jesus saying, which one went home justified? Depends on how they prayed and what was going on in their hearts. Are they exalting themselves or humbling themselves? Self-righteous prayer isn't actually prayer. I was thinking about this, and this picture just paints the Pharisee being like, God, I thank you. He's not even actually like praying for anything. He's not going to God asking for forgiveness. He's like actually basically going before God to brag about himself. That's kind of what's going on in this parable. And what point does, is this not even prayer? And what went wrong is that he minimized his own sins, right? I'm not like other people and inflated the evil of others. And same thing can happen to us, can't it? Well, I just struggle with pride. I'm not like those other people. Struggle with drug abuse or sexual sins of some kind. I'm not like them. And here's just a challenge. If you're being completely honest with yourself, is there any person that you would compare yourself to in that way? If you had to fill in the sentence, which you don't have to, thankfully, but if you had to fill this in, God, thank you that I'm not like blank. What comes to your mind? Pharisee was not humble before God. Humility is a key to prayer. And I put here that humility is directly proportional to your understanding of reality. Because I, I just think that's so true. This Pharisee had a distorted view of reality, right? This Pharisee thought that God loved him and God was so lucky to have him on his team and that he was totally righteous. You know, he tithed, he obeyed all these rules. And yet, what's all over the law in the Old Testament? Care for the poor, care for neighbor, humility before the Lord. And he just kind of closed his eyes to those things and focused on other things. He had a distorted view of reality. Again, this can get to us in different ways. It can get us in the, in the same way of this Pharisee, again, where we minimize our own sins and elevate the sins of others. And I was trying to think of a way of explaining this. It's kind of like if you're in a maximum security prison, there's a group of prisoners like, at least we're not like those guys over there, right? Like, what? That's what we do when we compare and minimize our own sins. Well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Also, humility is directly proportional to your understanding of reality in that the Bible teaches that like, everything good about us is ultimately a gift. Uh, James 1.20 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our Father in heaven. And it's like, people get this kind of self-righteous though, like earning, like, I worked hard for it though. I worked hard for it. Yes, who gave you those hands? But I had all these insights. Who gave you that mind and that brain? Ultimately, 
And this is not to, to downplay your hard work in any way. But at the end of the day, the special positions and privileges and insights and relationships and work positions you've had, they're, they're gifts. If it's a good thing, it's actually a gift. Here's reality. I think this is a great succinct way of saying it. That you and I are more sinful than we ever thought we were. And you're more deeply loved than you ever thought you could be. Both are true. So what's the application of this? Um, Embrace reality. Stop comparing yourself to others if that's part of your prayer life. And again, remember that the problem of prayer sometimes can be that we don't think we need God. That's why I love we sang that song, Lord, I need you to set up the message today. Because that should really be the consistent cry of our hearts. God, I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. You are my one defense. You are my righteousness. How I need you. And if you don't think you need God, if you just assess it and you're like, no, I'm pretty good without him. You have a distorted view of reality. And the answer is, ironically, pray about that. God, fix my eyes and fix my heart. I don't think I need you. And I know I do, but I don't think I do. Help me. Would you help me? The reality at the end of the day is, but for the grace of God, go I. And I was just thinking about these passages this week and trying to, what was going wrong in this Pharisee? And part of what was going wrong is that he just, he didn't know God deeply. He didn't understand the reality of not just who, who God is, but who he was and their relationship together. Like, retell this parable with a person's family and their kids. And I was going to have my kids come up here, and the, but then I thought it'd get weird because you might think that some of them thought they were better than others. But imagine my kids were up here. If you have your own kids, imagine, you know, them standing side by side and one of the kids saying to the other one, Dad, Mom, thank you so much that I'm not like that. <laughs> you know, because they do all these bad things and then they might list them but I'm not like them, right? See, there's something deep in our hearts that confuses how this works. That at the end of the day, it's kind of this earning thing, this favor thing, and if we just check all the right boxes, that God will love us more. And that's not how it works. We're God's kids. Just like whether one of your kids is more obedient or less obedient, you don't love them more or less. That's how God feels about all of us. And so comparison is silly because you're really saying, God, which one of us do you love more? Thank you, I'm not like them. Those people you love less. Like, no, that's not, that's not reality. You don't understand reality. So quick review. Part of our struggle in prayer is prayers seem to go unanswered. 
And Jesus says, persist, keep praying, keep asking. And sadly, some of those prayers will not be answered until Jesus' return, but keep asking anyway, because actually that return will happen partly in answer to those prayers. Persist. And then Jesus also says, the other key to prayer is humility. You won't pray, you and I won't pray like we know we should if at the end of the day, we don't think we really need God. And maybe we just need a good dose of humility. Say, God, I need you every moment. And I think both of these points come together in what Jesus says next. Now, this isn't a parable. I wasn't going to include it. But as I looked at the passage, I was like, this is, I think this is actually very integrally related to the points Jesus just made. So Luke 18, uh, verse 15. It says, people were bringing infants, small children to Jesus so that he might touch them and bless them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Pause, first century world, uh, kids are just thought of kind of as a burden in the first century world in general. Kids are a burden until they can help around the house, help with chores, help with work, and then they're, they're okay. But until that time, there's an annoyance, a burden. And then people are bringing their infants to Jesus to bless them. And so the disciples are like, burden, get these burdens out of here, right? They're distracting our master. Jesus, however, invited them, even though they don't have anything useful in the moment to offer him. Jesus, however, invited them. He said, "Let, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now I've always taken these verses to mean that Jesus is teaching about like simple faith, simple trust. Like a kid, you say, you know, jump into my arms and they do it. They don't think about like, wait, 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 how tired are you? And how strong are you really? Like they, just, they just do it, right? There's a simple trust. And I think that's true. I think that's part of what Jesus is saying. But in the context, I just noticed this week, this is right after. Jesus says, be persistent and be humble. And it just struck me that kids often illustrate those values all the time. If you came into our house when uh, Janelle or I might be distracted and you'd want to tell us something, you'd hear this. Mom, 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 mom. Mom, mom, right? Persistence. Jude's got it down. Kids get persistence, don't they? Just keep asking. Just like, be like that. Keep asking. Keep asking. Guess what? You cannot annoy God by asking too often. Doesn't work that way. He's not tired of hearing from you. And then humility, right? Like, I think just kids have this sense of like, I don't have much to offer this house, right? Like, there's not a sense of earning. It's like, just this, I'm part of the family, so please can I have extra ice cream? There's a sense of humility. I'm just a kid. And... This understanding, not just of of humility that I have nothing to offer, but humility in the sense of like, I love the innocence of kids. Like our kids, thankfully, and this might probably change very soon, is our kids are still at the point where they think me and Janelle are really cool and great. I know we're right on that edge, so I'm just (laughs) embraced for that to change. But um, I mean, you can tell just by some of the times 
the things they say or ask us that they just think we can basically do anything, apparently. And, um, my dad, you're so strong. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, no, it's sweet and it's innocent and it's humble, right? Like, mom and dad can do anything. If I need something, they'll be there. They can do it, they can provide it, right? That should be our heart towards God because it's actually true with God. Always pray and ask with the assumption that He can work. And that he will work if it's good for you and for the world, right? Some of our kids' requests go unanswered. Not because we can't make them happen, because it wouldn't be good for them. That's part of the heart of God as well. So we're going to respond in prayer and in singing in a moment. And this song, uh, I love it. It's just a song of praise, but it's also a song of perspective. And my heart is that you and I, as we sing this song, would be humbled. We'd be reminded of who I really am and who God really is and how much we really need him and how little we really have to offer and how that's okay because we're his kids and he's our heavenly dad and he loves us. As always, if there's something special you would like prayer for, um, would you go to that back corner of the sanctuary? Our prayer team is back there. And if there's something you'd like to follow up with one of us on staff uh, about, we're, we're here for you. We'd love to speak to you after the service. Uh, I'll be out in that foyer area. And then one more reminder again, we have w- one more announcement. Um, I'll share that after our response time. But worship team, would you come on up? And I'll pray for us and we'll respond in song. God, there truly is no one higher than you. And I know we're all at different places and are struggling being as consistent as we know inside we should be with prayer. And at the end of the day, God, would you help us turn to you for the help we need to grow in our relationship with you? If honestly, prayer tends to be our last resort, would you help each of us just in our heart right now and in these next few minutes, say, God, make me your first resort. Help me to turn to you first, more often. God, for any of us here who struggles with that pridefulness and that comparison and the tendency to minimize our own sinfulness or struggles and to make a bigger deal about others and compare ourselves in unhealthy ways, God, would you help us just to cut it out? And to realize that but for your grace, it could be us. And we need you desperately. Would you help us just to give a sense, give us a deep sense of our need for you? And God, finally, would you help us be persistent? Give us, let's say, like diligence in prayer and an unwillingness to give up even when it feels like our prayers are going unanswered because you are not just our loving heavenly father, you are the ultimate judge of the world. And so God, we place justice ultimately in your hands because we know that when we try and take it into our own hands, we just make a mess of things. Would your will be done? And God, would you return soon.
and finish your work in this world? And would you work your will in this time even now? Would your will be done in the conflicts around the world and the conflicts in our homes and our communities and even in our own hearts? We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.